So one night about 7 o'clock in the evening, I was uh, at work. I was, I was working in, a, in, the, in the kitchen at a restaurant I was working at and managing. And, and one of my hostesses goes, uh, hey, Rob, um, it's raining in the lobby. So I said, it's raining in the lobby. She's like, yeah, it's, it's raining in the lobby. I'm like, there's no rain in the forecast. She's like, I know. <laughs> it's raining in the lobby. I said, okay. I walk out, and sure enough, out of the ceiling tiles is this really nice, steady rain. If you were out in the rain and, and just getting this nice, steady, refreshing kind of rain. But no, it was raining in the lobby. That's not generally a good thing, Right? It was winter time as well. And so I thought to myself, oh no, as an old restaurant, I thought to myself, oh no, a pipe has burst, right? So we uh, cut off the water, we turned off the water, and, and um, I called my boss who was in Florida at the time at a regional meeting, couldn't get a hold of him. I tried him three times, he wouldn't answer his phone. Ended up calling the vice president of the company He's like, dude, what is it? I'm like, well, it's raining in the lobby. This is not okay. And I don't know what to do. I was new. I was like, I don't know what to do to fix this. He's like, did you turn the water off to the building? I said, yeah. He said, that's okay then. Go home. You got it at the source. It'll be fine. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Okay. I call uh, the manager who's supposed to open in the morning, and I, I told her. I let her know, and I went home. Well, uh, the next morning, I get a phone call from this manager who was opening the store the next morning, and she says, hey, can you come to work and bring a pair of socks? I said, I, I guess I can. Why am I bringing a pair of socks? She said, just bring a pair of socks. I said, okay. So I come to work, and, and I bring a pair of socks, and the socks were for her because when she had opened the front door of the building to go in, a foot of water flew out and about knocked her off her feet. The entire dining room had been filled with a foot of water, the kitchen with about two feet of water. And I said, I cut the water off at the source. I cut, I cut it off at the main valve. Except there's something I didn't know, and none of us knew really, is that the break was actually from the uh, fire suppression system. And the fire suppression system is shut off at the street. The fire department has to shut off the fire suppression system. And apparently a six-inch pipe of 135 PSI water had been blowing at the side of the building all night long. All because we didn't figure out what the source of the problem was. We didn't catch the source and shut off the water. It kind of ruined our day. We were kind of, we were closed for about two weeks while we cleaned up the mess, all of the mess, and were later found out, and this is a story for another day, that because of that flood and many other things, that that building actually needed to be condemned, <laughs> and was. So it had done irreparable damage because we didn't catch it at the source. We really thought it was the water main, it really had nothing to do with the water main, it was something else. As we continue our study in the, in the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, 
Uh, first thing I'd like to do is have us read it. Could we read that together? Because my hope is that by the end of this thing, we've got this down pat. It says this, listen, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, we've talked about listen, right? That word, Shema, that it means more than just to hear things. It means to process, to be deeply committed to, and to respond to what God is calling his people to. Last week, we looked at the Lord. We looked at the oneness of God, the unique nature of God, that he is unique and not just among humanity, but in all of creation. There is none other like him. Amen? Amen. This week, we're going to look at what I think is kind of the writer would have said is the source. We're going to look at the heart. When it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart, that word, levav, or lev more commonly, um, at the time this was written, they would have known it was connected to life in many ways. In fact, in 1 Samuel 25, verse 37, it describes a heart attack. It says, in the morning when Nabal sobered up, Nabal was the wife of Abigail, and, and she had, in the evening before, had gone to talk to David, and it saved Nabal and his family. So it says, when Nabal sobered up, because he was apparently drunk as a skunk, his wife told him about these events, that would be her talking to David, and his heart died and he became stone. The people of God knew that the heart was connected to life. When your heart is beating, you're probably alive. When your heart is not beating, you're probably not, right? They had at least gotten that far. They knew that. But that word heart is more than just that physical life. It, is, it is also gives us a picture into how the Hebrews would have looked at the other roles of the heart or how they referred to the heart. The heart was regarded as the seat of the mind as well as of a wide range of emotions. They really didn't have a concept of a brain. Yes, they knew the brain was there. It was an organ in your head. But we sometimes separate heart and mind, right? We separate the two. They did not. Anytime you see it read, listen with your heart. Hear it in your heart. Understand it in your heart. Discern it in your heart. Wisdom dwells in the heart, says Proverbs 14.33. Solomon is said to have used the wisdom of God that was in his heart, right? Desires come from the heart, David had in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. Feelings come from the heart. In 1 Samuel 1, 15, Hannah, as she's lamenting to the Lord about how she has not been able to have a child, right? And has promised the Lord, I will, I will give my child to the Lord if you'll just give me a child, right? It says in verse 15, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I have been pouring my heart out before the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel 2, verse 1, it says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord when she has a child. And even the Lord gets into it in verse 35 of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and says, Then I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. We know that to be Samuel. And he will do whatever is in my heart. Something about that being the source of who he is and who we are. That's the role of the heart. And if we really think about it, we talk about it and speak of the heart that way too, right? If someone gives half of an effort, we say they are 
half-hearted. It was half, a half-hearted attempt or our heart's not in it, right? If we change our mind, we've had a change of heart. If we discover the source of a challenge, we've found the heart of the matter, right? The source of it. On the flip side, the human heart can often conflict with God's. Has your heart ever lied to you? Has it ever looked right past warning signs to see what you want to see? My wife um, hates Volkswagens. Can't stand Volkswagens. And you can narrow it down to one instance. You can narrow it down to an instance where Rob was out looking for a new car because the one that he had that was paid off, he didn't want anymore. I like the way I talk about myself in the third person. Like I'm not that guy, right? But Rob was out buying and looking at a new car and, and he saw this Volkswagen and he's like, I really want that car. And my wife's out with me and she says, I, I, don't, I don't think I would do that. Now, as an experienced spouse, what does that mean? That means no, don't do that. But Rob said, oh, she didn't say no. And he came home with the Volkswagen the next day. Can I just tell you, every time something even slightly went wrong with that Volkswagen, she was all up in my grill. <laughs> just like, I told you, I told you not to get that car. Of course, that car, of course. And from this day on, if I ever say to her, that's a really neat looking Volkswagen, she goes, shut up. There will be no Volkswagens in our house, so it's almost a joke. I, I do it. But the truth is, I looked past a warning sign because my heart wanted something more. That was the desire of my heart. It's not a good thing, but my heart lied, right? My emotions lied. They convinced me that I should do the thing I wanted to do when rea reality, that was among the dumbest things I've ever done. It. And that's a long list. <laughs> but I think we look, we look past, our heart can lie to us, we can look past warning signs in relationships. If I had a nickel for every time I've seen somebody in a relationship that I've just gone, that is not a healthy relationship for you to be in. They do not lift you up, they do not make you your best or to be in a relationship where one spouse is doing something horrible to the other one and they keep looking past it and going, it's okay, he or she really loves me, it'll be fine. They don't really mean it. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> Sometimes we can look past things, warning signs with our children and our grandchildren when they're acting a fool, because we all act a fool at times, right? And say, oh, it's okay, they'll be fine. They may not be, <laughs> right? The heart sometimes lies, lies to us because we want to believe something despite the truth that's in front of us. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable who can understand it. And in some ways I want to say, ain't that the truth? Right? You've heard the song, I'm sure, The Heart Wants What It Wants if you're into pop music. Because that's how we function sometimes. The heart wants what it wants, and we don't understand always why it wants what it wants. It's because the human heart is not God's heart. It's not the same thing. Our source is not always the same as God's. 
Even Jesus gets into it. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, as the scribes are questioning Jesus, he says, Jesus, it says, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? It is the heart that also needs to be repaired. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, when you come to your senses, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. I think Proverbs 4.23 says it best. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. The heart is the source of life, of who we are. We have a tendency to separate um, heart and soul, and we'll get into soul next week. I would say up front, though, that the way we look at soul as being some kind of disembodied or disconnected piece of who we are is not the way the Hebrews would have looked at it. They would have looked at it as it being part of the whole, of a single unit, and we'll get into that. But the heart is the driver of our desires. It's the driver of our joys. It's the driver of our priorities. The heart is the source in many ways of who we are, and we know that. We refer to it just the same way, but we don't always guard it as though it is. Guarding your heart means being very aware that there are many things that affect your heart whether you realize it or not. It might be being in a relationship that you should not be in where someone is tearing you down every three seconds and you're saying, I can hold up, I'll be fine. No, that's affecting your heart. It might be making a series of choices that is less about loving and more about getting what you want and say, no, that doesn't change who I am, that doesn't affect who I am. The truth is it does. It affects your heart more than you care to believe. So what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart? Well, first I think we need to understand that love, the Hebrew word here would have been ahava, the love of God. The Aramaic, which is the, the language that Jesus would have spoken in mostly, was rachmah. And the New Testament writers would have used what word? Agape. Did you know, funny thing about that word, many scholars believe that that word didn't even exist before Jesus. That that word was developed by the New Testament writers to describe better this unique, encompassing, forgiving, transcendent love that is exemplified in only one place, and his name is Jesus Christ. They made up a new word to describe something they had never seen or really understood before because the human heart is incurable who can understand it. And what they saw in him was something that they, that they had never seen ever before. It's the kind of love that, frankly, we count on God having for us. We count on it, right? You count on him to forgive you, do you not? You count on him to walk with you, count on him to be faithful to you. I hope you do, because you can. But do we have that kind of love for him? 
do we really view him as the source of our life? The source of our identity? The source of the way we express our life? The source of our priorities? The source of our thoughts? The source of our desires? Are we more concerned about building a temple to the Lord rather than a temple for ourselves? The heart is revealed very much by what we choose to invest it in. And I'm not talking about a physically bigger building. When I say build a temple to the Lord, I'm talking about expanding the kingdom of God. One of our our goals next year, in fact, our vision for next year is better out than in. And by the way, you don't have to wait till January to start. But it's to become a church that asks first, first, how does this expand the kingdom and have the courage to change in order to follow that call? How do the decisions we make, corporately and individually, impact the kingdom of God? Is that the first thing in our mind? Is that where our desires flow from, or do they flow from within our incurable heart? That's a hard one to see clearly because we have a tendency to get in our own way, and we want to believe very much that we're doing the right thing always. But are we? with our time and our energy and our resources and what we choose to say is important to us. Focusing our hearts on him means pursuing knowledge of his character rather than comparing ourselves to the caricatures of the world. It's not about being as pretty as the next person or as smart as the next person or as talented as the next person. It's about whether or not we're pursuing the characteristics that God is calling out as important. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Do we hunger and thirst for the thing of God? Are we pursuing him? Are we chasing him? Are we trying to understand him and his character and the character he's calling us to emulate? Or am I too busy trying to impress my neighbor or my coworkers or myself? It means under- loving him with all of our heart means understanding his ways instead of better figuring out how to do it my way. I think we do that sometimes with God. We get pigeonholed into wanting to solve a problem my way, wanting to deal with a challenge within my comfort zone, want to be aimed at my goal, and we kind of invite God along and say, God, I need you to help me get to my goal. Can I help tell you something? God is not interested in you getting your goal. He's interested in you getting to his goal. Which, by the way, as a side benefit, also benefits you. And me. As that is truly the place where we're going to find healing. That is truly the place where we're going to find completion. That is truly the place where we're going to see love, this agape love as it's intended to be, is when we're pursuing his pursuits and not my own. What motivates you to solve a problem in your life? Is it the benefit you're going to get on the other side? Or is it how it's going to glorify God? And sometimes those two things are competing values. And sometimes a win-win doesn't exist. 
Sometimes God wins, and that means I lose. I don't get what I want. And guess what? That's okay. Another verse out of Matthew 5, out of the Beatitudes. Verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those who approach everything with godly intent. That the source of their life is the things of God and is the desires God has for them. This is a picture of someone who is passionate for the things of the Lord. Passionate for the things of God. Someone who puts God's desires and God's expectations, and we don't like to use that word around God because it makes it sound like he wants something from us. Guess what? He does. He doesn't just want something. I'm pretty sure we just read it. Love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm pretty sure that means how much of us he wants is everything. All of who we are. So it shouldn't be surprising that this, is, this draws this picture of what it means to have a heart that loves the Lord, right? Love the Lord our God with all our heart means a heart that is passionately committed to serving him. A heart that recognizes that the very source of life is him and him alone. It's nothing else. It's not a better job. It's not a better family life. Better family life comes with having a greater commitment to the Lord. It's not the other way around. All of those are other goals that are wonderful, but but they're goals that have to be seen and approached and chased for one purpose, and that's to serve the Lord. Otherwise, they are futile. Even good things are futile if it's not done within sight of chasing God and coming to know God. Even our greatest dreams will fall short if it doesn't put God at the top of the list. Oswald Chambers, who I love, says, Human nature, if it is healthy, demands excitement. And if it does not obtain its thrilling excitement in the right way, it will seek it in the wrong. God never made bloodless Stoics. He makes no passionless saints. You have passions. Every one of us does. We have passions for something. Passion to succeed. A passion for music. A passion for family passion for a hobby you might have. Five of us yesterday went and played around at Sweetwater Music. Do you know what that is? It's the largest music store in North America. Can I just tell you, I was like a kid in a candy store. How many different guitars can I try to play? And I don't don't play it well at all, but golly gee, it was sure fun. I had a blast. And would I like another guitar? Of course I would. Do I need another guitar? It might go the way of the Volkswagen in my house. But that's a passion of mine, yes. But if I'm not focusing that or funneling that toward bringing God glory, is it a passion I should be exploring? Or am I chasing something that is just about me and not about the kingdom? And if that's the case, do I really love the Lord my God with all my heart or just a piece of it? 
a piece of it. One of the challenges we have as a church, bluntly and frankly, is finding volunteers for things. Um, we have difficulty finding people who are willing to teach our children, which boggles my mind because I'm pretty sure they're our future, right? We have difficulty finding people who are willing to lead on ministries. Those of you who are so faithfully doing it have probably been doing it for longer than you care to consider because you keep having to sign up over and over again and you're doing it out of loyalty and I love you. I love your commitment and I love your heart and I am thankful for your heart. But wouldn't it be so much easier if all of us were fully committed? If all of our hearts were in it and we were all willing to do the things that God is calling us to and if that feels convicting to you, maybe it should. Maybe it should. The heart is the source of life. God's heart, the one that he wants to impart within us, the one that he wants us to take on the characteristics of, the one that he loves us with and wants us to love him back with, that is not just the source of life, that is the source of eternal life. And too often I think we spend our time and our energies being focused with our hearts, our core, our source of life, with all of these things that don't really matter when it's all said and done. The call of this message, the call of the Shema, is to recognize that there are going to be plenty of other pursuits in your life that you can have. Just because all things are possible does not mean they are beneficial. The Apostle Paul might have said that. God has created you to do something amazing. God has laid within your heart passions. He's laid within your heart things that bring excitement to your life, the things that you go, yes, this is my identity and this is the thing I want to pursue and this is the thing that I want to do. And, and I would not for one second tell you that's not what God has put on you. He probably has. If he's called you to be a teacher, I really believe he's called you to be a teacher if that's your passion. If he's called you to be a musician, then I really believe that that's, your, that's a passion he has laid within you. If he's called you to be a construction worker or to manage people or to pour concrete or whatever it is that he has called you to do, I really believe he's laid that passion within you. The question is, are you using that passion for his kingdom? Are you loving him with all of your heart? Or are we using it for ourselves? That is the challenge of learning to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. It means we find our identity in who he says we are. No more and no less. And that's important too. Because you can easily find yourself, if you hear me saying things like, you need to love the Lord with all your, all your heart and not yourself. You can pretty quickly get to the place where you think that means, Rob, you don't think God cares what I think of myself? No, I, I think very much he does. Because he says you're valuable. Valuable enough to die for he very much cares about what you think of yourself because God don't make garbage and God loves you as you are he just loves us all too much to leave us that way so I would as we leave here today as I wrap up I'm going to pray but as I do I would ask that you consider something is your heart with God 
or is your heart divided? If your heart is divided, there's a way to make it whole again. But it's going to require circumcision, some cutting out, some removal of the things that have darkened it, some removal of the things that keep it from beating as it should, some removal of the things that keep it from being the heart that God has designed for you and for me. It's the heart of God himself. Amen? Amen.